2: Today we're speaking with Alexis Marie Chute, she is an award-winning writer, artist and filmmaker and has set herself apart for her bereavement advocacy. Today we're discussing her book, Expecting Sunshine, A Journey of Grief, Healing and Pregnancy After Loss. So um, Alexis Marie, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you so much for having me, I'm happy to be here.
2: So what inspired to write you, for you to write this book?
3: That is a big question, and it really started back um, quite a few years ago. I had one normal healthy pregnancy and had a healthy little toddler running around named Hannah, and in my pregnancy that followed, um, it was one of those uh, knock-you-off-your-feet, you you know, earth-altering moments where um, in that pregnancy, the doctor phoned and said, there's something wrong with your baby's heartbeat and it was, um, world altering, right? And so in that moment, I think the the seed for expecting sunshine, the memoir was planted, although, um, it wasn't until maybe a year after Zachary passed away that I actually started to write the book. Um, when I realized I was pregnant again, so it's, such a family um, story that, that shows the evolution of uh, personhood, of what it was like to be a mother and a woman and trying to grapple with um, grief and loss in, in a situation where I felt incredibly helpless. So my motivation to write the book at, at the beginning was um, just to tell the beautiful story of Zachary's life, which was so short, but it has grown into something that's I really hope we will change the culture around grief and healing.
2: Well, you know, I, I agree with you. I think that um, talking about grief or those any negative emotion really is very taboo. Um, so I can imagine that that was difficult for you to go through um, uh, and probably made you feel very lonely because people don't talk about it a lot. Absolutely. Um, so let's just uh, go back a little bit. Can you tell us, you know, how you met your husband and, and what your marriage was like?
3: Yeah, so we met um, through mutual friends. Um, one of my closest friends, um, her husband or boyfriend at that time, invited one of his friends from grade two. You know, they've been friends since, you know, like they were six years old kind of thing. And so we met at a, you know, a birthday party, and we've been, from there we entered same social groups and played sports together. And, um, yeah, it, it was this kind of a natural uh, friendship that grew into amazing love. And I do think that we were very, um, you know, like, youthful, idealistic uh, in our marriage pre-loss. And I think that, you know, everybody who's in that stage, you don't know anything else, right? Yeah. Until you've had, you've had this, like, monumental life-changing situation and then it shows um the strength of a marriage what what the bond is really like
2: yeah definitely now you had um your daughter uh hannah before um zachary can you tell us what she's like
3: hannah is a spirited uh she's <laughs> the cutest amazing girl ever she she knows her mind if she doesn't want to do something she will fight you tooth and nail she's so determined and, and I, just, I, from the moment she was born, she's been a, a light of joy in my life. And I think that if it wasn't for her, what came afterwards for us, it would have been almost unbearable. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, so how old was Hannah when you got pregnant again?
3: Oh my goodness. I think she was only like four months old or something. She was such a great baby, so we were like, oh, you know, this parenting thing is easy. We don't know what we're <laughs> talking about. Let's do this again. And, yeah, so we got pregnant pretty quickly. Don't quote me on the math, but um, <laughs> I know that they were going to be 13 months apart, so they were going to be pretty close um, okay. had everything gone to plan. Yeah, and I and- always wanted to have my kids close together. That was sort of the dream.
2: Yeah, so they could be friends and, and close. Yeah, Yeah, you get to
3: um, the night stage together, you know, like you get it all out of yeah. the way, you don't have to, <laughs> long, long days of nightless, you know, sleepless nights. And uh,
2: what was the beginning of that pregnancy with Zachary like?
3: You know, the beginning, I would say the first 20 plus weeks were just as blissfully naive as they had been with Hannah. You know, we just didn't expect anything to go wrong. And I think that's, something that in our culture, we um, we really believe at our core that we have control over every facet of our life. And and that's what we kind of felt like. We we're like, okay, well, we want to have a, uh, another baby, so let's go get pregnant. And that that happens. And then, all right, so we're planning for, you know, a school, and this is what our future is going to look like, our family trips and our careers. And then when we got the news, it was about 25 uh, weeks into my pregnancy with Zachary, that Things weren't going as planned, and there was a huge problem. It just threw us completely off. Yeah. So, um, what is Baby Before Birth? Um. So that's just that. That is um like sort of like a pseudonym for another company um, whose identity I'm keeping private. But Baby Before Birth is is there's you know all these kind of places all over, uh, and every city has multiple of them. It's basically a 3D ultrasound where you go and you just uh, go for fun and you get, um, you leave there with uh, kind of like images where you can almost see like the shape of the baby's face. So instead of being um, a 2D ultrasound where it's just black and white and you can, you know, make out like the bone structure only, this kind of, you can actually see, um, yeah, like the curve of the nose and the cheeks and everything. It's, It's really cool technology.
2: So, what happened after your visit there with Zachary?
3: Yeah, so I went with Hannah to baby before birth. It was great. We got pictures. I went again with Zachary, um, and I we left. And then I had a prenatal appointment a few days later, and the doctor said, "Yeah, there's something wrong with your baby's heart, and we are going to send you for more testing." and And I was just so taken back because um, these 3D ultrasound clinics, they're they're mainly for fun. They're for parents to kind of get these early pictures. So it's not uh, diagnostic in any way. So from there, after that doctor's appointment, we went to um, like actual medical diagnostic ultrasound uh, facilities. And that's when they found the really large tumor around Zachary's heart and they found other small little tumors throughout his body. Um, And we started the uh, daily trek to the hospital, um, to their high-risk facilities, seeing all kinds of specialists and pediatric cardiologists and getting fetal echoes, which is ultrasounds of just um, the chambers of the heart, in an effort, all in an effort to try to see if we could save our baby.
2: So what was Zachary's diagnosis?
3: So they figured out, um shortly after um, the, the tumors were recognized that he had tubularis sclerosis complex, which is basically um, which basically means so in all of us we have a gene that prevents tumors from growing, and in him, that gene was altered sometime after conception. And lots of people can live with this disease. that's the The really heartbreaking thing for us is um, the unfortunate part was that just the tumor around Zachary's heart was so big and so dense that he basically was experiencing heart failure in the womb, and doctors predicted that he was going to be stillborn. He wasn't, actually. That's one of the miraculous gifts of our experience. He did hold on, and he was born alive uh, at 30 weeks gestation, and... He moved a tiny bit in my arms, and he, um, yeah, he, he never opened his eyes. He never screamed or cried, you know, like the beautiful sound of a newborn entering the world. But we had just a few minutes. That was precious to me.
2: Yeah, so what was that few minutes like to you, for
3: you? I think it was different because we did know that he wouldn't live. Like, this, the, the tumor... Like, when we did ultrasounds and, and fetal uh, echocardiograms of his heart, it was almost like you couldn't even recognize it as a heart. Like, the tumor, it was so crushing his little uh, four chambers that it just it looked like a white mass um, in, in the ultrasound images. So, I think that we had sort of mentally prepared ourselves. We had, you know, like... Um, what was it, like flat Five, five and five and a half, six weeks to um, kind of come to terms that we were not going to be bringing our baby home. And that really transformed our mental state in those moments. So we, we kissed our baby, my husband and I, and we held him skin to skin and we rocked him and sang to him. My husband Aaron um, took Zachary to the window at the hospital and pulled back the blinds and and held him up, and even though he couldn't see, uh, he didn't have his eyes open, but he, my husband said, like, this is the world, and I'll, like, I'll never forget that moment, and I just feel that those few moments we had, they just moved so slowly, and I, I just, it was amazing to be able to be present, you know, in our culture, we're so busy, and we're talking to one person, but we're thinking about, you know, what we're, we have to do later that day, uh, we're on social media, and everything is just Busy, 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 go, go, go. And I really feel like those were some of the most pure, low, savory moments of my life um, that I'll never forget. And even though it was heartbreaking and we cried and cried, a, a baby's life is, is so precious, even if it's, you know, only as long as it lasts in the womb or for us a few moments out in the world. It was really a powerful time. So um
2: how long, how long did you have with Zachary?
3: So we um gave birth to him. Well I guess I gave birth to him. <laughs> My husband didn't do that. <laughs> Your and husband our, it, was you there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so we were together with him for um the day. I can't remember i am I'm I'm terrible with numbers. That's why I wrote it down in the book. I have the numbers there. Um <laughs> I think he was born at, you know, sometime in the morning. I think it was like nine ish. And then um, the funeral home uh, was scheduled to pick him up at five, and they didn't show up till about seven fifteen or something like that. And so we had, we didn't have the day, even though he had passed. Um, you know, like my husband and the nurse, um, while I was resting, they made handprints and footprints. And, I got to hold the baby and I, I had Hannah and all of our parents came um, and visited and everybody got to hold him. We have some really precious pictures of Hannah and Zachary together. And she feels very proud. Like I got to meet my brother. You know, we are very uh-huh. open in our family about talking about loss. And, yeah. and then we had a, a, now I lay me down to sleep photographer. Um, it's an amazing organization. They send out at no cost to the family they sent a uh, volunteer photographer to come and take pictures. And, th- you know, those, apart from the few we took on our phones and our, you know, little camera, we had um, those pictures are the only, you know, real legacy we'll have of remembering what Zachary looked like. So we did those little things like that. And and then when it came to be evening, we, ugh, it just gives me the shivers. This creeps me out even now, but we had to give give our baby to the funeral home worker and he took um for his first car ride instead of going home it was to the funeral home to the mortuary so it's just it's just heartbreaking it's heartbreaking yeah yeah
2: we we are going to take a quick break we're talking today with alexis marie chute she's um the author of expecting sunshine a journey of grief healing and pregnancy after loss we'll be back shortly Your life,
1: your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
4: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
1: What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses.
2: Hi everybody, welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. Today we're talking to Alexis Marie Chute. She's the author of Expecting Sunshine, A Journey of Grief, Healing, and Pregnancy After Loss. So Alexis Marie, after Zachary passed away, um, what, was, what was your response to that in the days or weeks after?
3: So I, it's kind of funny, like, I find it ironic. So because we did know leading up to his passing that um, we would only have a few minutes with him, I really felt comfortable with my grief and and everything in those moments. However, once we got home and sort of life started up again, I just, I couldn't handle the grief. I found it too um, suffocating and, and it was almost like I couldn't cope with it. I couldn't think about it. And so I basically dove into what I call my year of distraction where I did everything but grieve, And so I worked, you know, like crazy hours, uh, evenings and weekends, if I could, Um, I was also taking care of Hannah, who at that point um, just passed her first birthday, so she was an active toddler, and I took her to class after class at the YMCA and at the library, and I just, I just sort of filled every ounce of time with um, distraction, so that was my year of distraction, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I, when I write that down, it's in, in capitals too because it's it was such a like um, an inward choice to not to not focus on it. I just felt like I was inside. I was um, imploding, exploding, like like everything. You know, it was just this complete inner um, identity confusion, and and as a mother, like I felt completely inept. You know, as a as a woman, our one um, job that our body should know how to do all on its own is to grow a healthy baby and, and welcome that child into the world. At least that was my perception, and so I felt felt like this deep um, failure right to my the core of who I was that I couldn't protect my baby. And, and we did um, nine months of genetic testing during that time as well to see was it something with Aaron or I, and it, it wasn't. It was a random. Mutation of that gene, sometime after conception, but still that didn't quench the the deep uh, hunger in me to know why has this happened to my baby? Why has this happened to me and my family? Family, what could I have done differently? And those those left logic brain questions I had no answer for, and so I just I ran, I ran from the grief during that first year after Zachary's death. So
2: did you ever find a conclusion to those answers, questions?
3: You know, when I got pregnant again after losing Zachary, like after we realized that um, the genetic complication wasn't something inherent from Erin or I, we did start to try again. And, you know, after I think it was about, you know, five or six weeks after you know, like I found out I was pregnant and was embarking on this new journey. It was only at that time that I realized, holy cow, if I don't deal with these feelings of grief, I'm going to carry them in a, in a really uh, destructive, um, you know, secret way for the rest of my life. And inwardly, it's going to kind of eat me alive, right? So it was in that time that I started to write and I started to make art and, and it's funny because like I'm a visual artist and a writer by profession and passion but in that year of distraction afterwards I couldn't be creative and I avoided art um, I did commercial photography but you know it's projects for other people so I didn't have to you know tap into my own inner wellspring of creativity but it was in this decision that holy cow I need to heal I need to you know, try to make some kind of peace with those why questions before my next child is born. Knock on wood, I was terrified of having another baby that didn't live. That really started me on this journey of finding and using art as a creative tool to both experience and express my grief. And so, like, I am a painter and photographer by profession and. In, in Those are the things that I love, and I'm trained in those areas. But I actually started to do wood sculpture, which was so outside the realm of um, anything I'd ever done before. And it just began as, you know, sitting down and just starting to glue, like, tiny little pieces of wood together. And they grew taller and taller, and it it really opened up the right side of my brain to... um, subconsciously deal with so many of these why questions and how that works is like the right side of our brain it's some more um, creative intuitive experimental um, abstract thinking creative problem solving kind of processes right and so in that I found I didn't necessarily need answers to those why questions I could understand that my experience happened in a more abstract way and accept it and make peace with it and and those kind of terms. And so now, you know, as a human being (laughs) living this life, I really feel I have a deeper appreciation for the mystery and um, the mystery of life, the things that we can't explain and accepting those as a beautiful, um, cyclical part of life. You know, we live and we die. It's the cycle of life. And, it's not something to be feared, but it's something to be accepted and celebrated and, and and talked about. I think that what I'm really hoping with Expecting Sunshine, my book, is that people will start to talk about these things. I think that when we keep death and grief in the shadows, in the secret, it, that's where it becomes this um, painful, destructive thing in people's lives. And then, then, that, then that's why it's awkward when... For example, I lost my baby and people didn't know what to say to me and so I did feel incredibly isolated. And I see that now and so I don't I don't really don't want anyone else to feel those feelings. So yeah, that's um, my <coughs> long answer to that. <laughs> no, that's
2: that's okay. Um, you know, I, I think you're you're right about that, you know, having had some some loss in my life, I know it's um people are, I guess they're either afraid to say something, and you touch on that in your book, or they just don't know what to say, so they don't say anything. And, um, you know, they don't want to say the wrong thing, I guess. And uh, um, I, I think that can leave um, you feeling really isolated when, um, you know, it's this taboo thing, but it's this huge thing for you.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. So what, so what I'm, was I'm, you?
3: I'm really yeah, hoping that people will... Um, I'm really hoping that people will realize that they don't have to have the right answers and what they say doesn't have to be the right thing. Even just saying, I am so sorry for your loss, that can just mean the world to somebody. And sometimes saying nothing, just being present can, I don't know, show the greatest amount of support and love. Yeah. Um, What was
2: your husband's response to all of this?
3: So again, like in the time that was leading up to and at Zachary's passing, we were so on the same page in, in in the feelings of helplessness and supporting each other. And but it was really in the the time afterwards where he sort of reverted to um, how he was brought up, which is you know a sort of an avoidance of talking about. Difficult subject matter, you know, he comes from a family of, you know, all boys. And um, I don't think they really talked about their feelings a whole lot. And it was almost like he um, just distanced himself and avoided the topic. And he um, coached volleyball at the school where he taught. And so he was up before Han and I up and he was out the door and we didn't you know he didn't get home till nine thirty or 10 o'clock at night sometimes and he would you know sit down and tell me about his day and tell me about the volleyball game and i just felt so uh, like he didn't even see me I, f- I felt like he didn't see me for many years and at the time i just i could not understand where he was coming from i was like our baby just died how are you like back to work so quickly and just carrying on as if nothing happened yeah, it was really hard. We had we struggled for many, many years.
2: Well, it it sounds like that was a year of distraction for him as well. Oh my goodness, you're the first
3: person that said that, and I've never thought about it that way.
2: Oh really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah he was doing the same thing as you. He was working long hours and trying to avoid, you know, his own thoughts and feelings. I would guess he would know better.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I never thought about it that way. <laughs> <laughs> one, one, five, um, I still wanted to talk and he didn't want to talk about yeah. it. But yeah, that that's really interesting. Thank you, Doctor Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs>
2: hey, Opened anything I could up. do for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, awesome. yeah, so I mean it, it I think it's hard for for everybody to to deal with emotions. We're not really in our society taught that it's okay to feel these bad things. You know. And uh, my grandma used to say, even though I loved her very much, um, that if you don't have anything nice to say or anything positive to say, then you just pretend. And so you tell people you're doing oh. fine because people don't want to hear it. And, and, you know, she she's right about that. People don't want you, as soon as you see them, to say, oh, well, you know, everything sucks, my baby died or whatever, right? So yeah. I think it makes it, it, makes it more, more difficult because you... You know, we're probably feeling like, I would guess, so you would know better that um, you have to kind of put on this this face to communicate with people.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've, I went through many phases, and one of those being even strangers at the grocery store, it's like, oh, how many kids do you have? Oh, I have, you know, like, this is when I was, like, pregnant again, and so I ha- would have my big round belly, and they'd be like, oh, this is your, you know, second baby, you're so excited, and I'd be like, no, like, this is my third baby, and, and I would creep people out, you know what I mean? Because they're not expecting that kind of response. And then I did have, um, you know, stages where I would say, oh, no, this is how many kids I have. But Hannah, as she grew up, because we've been very open with talking with Hannah, she would say, oh, wait, Mom, no, you're forgetting Zachary in that number. You actually have this number of kids. And so I've kind of gone through stages where um, I've been open and not open to varying degrees. But yeah, Yeah. I think in terms of parenting um, Hannah and our subsequent children, I would say that one of the most healthy um, healing acts that we did, and at the time I don't think it was super intentional, but we have talked with our kids about what happened to our family and what happened with Zachary. And I really feel that the beauty of that act, like I said, it was not intentional at the time, but what has become now I think is really helpful is our kids now are very comfortable with death and with loss. And I kind of feel like that's, you know, where our society needs to get to is, is now like our living kids, they talk about Zachary, like, you know, he's, it's no big deal. He's a part of our family. He lives in our hearts. That, that's what we say. Um, and, you know, it's like somebody else passes or we hear upsetting news the way that they handle it right now is, it's beautiful. It's so, like I said earlier, like accepting of the mystery of life and, you know, that, that bad things can happen, but, you know, we're still together and even the bonds of family can never be broken through death. It's like they understand this in this little childlike way because we've been open with um, with them. So I really feel that, you know, this is obviously my perspective, but I, I'd love for more families to be open and then when tough stuff does happen, which life always throws us tough things and we don't expect it, we don't know when it's gonna happen, but then we can be prepared and we can handle it in a healthy way instead of like, Oh my gosh, someone I know just died and our entire galaxy is thrown off which was my experience. I had I really had zero experience with death up to that time with Zach and it destroyed me. And so I think that if we can start talking about these things in an authentic genuine way where death is not something to be feared, but um, made peace with in our own hearts and accepted as a beautiful part of life, then we won't have like, you know, thousands and thousands of therapy, you know, bills (laughs) piled up after, right? Because we can, as a culture, accept and celebrate life instead of um, fear the end of it.
2: You know, I, I agree with you, and I think what you've done with your, your children is, is very beautiful and very brave because it must have been very difficult in the beginning to have those conversations with especially Hannah, who was around at the time, and just to to let her know what was going on when you didn't quite understand as well.
3: Well, well, you know, I think that at the time, okay, I think from my experience, it wasn't necessarily hard at the beginning because I was a wreck, and she knew I was pregnant, and she was expecting this baby, and so she was kind of like, right from the beginning, we were talking about it. I can see how if people wait, um, like I have, a, I have a close friend, um, and he and his wife had a loss, and through um, interacting with you know like with them about my book and the documentary. You know, like, he's like, oh, maybe I, maybe we should tell, he's saying this, saying this to his wife in front of I me, mean, maybe we should tell our older kids that we've had this loss. And I, I think absolutely, yes, it's a great, really important thing to do. But I think that's where it can become a harder conversation when it does come out of the blue that, you know, back X number of years ago, you had a little sibling that passed away. Because, you know, from from that point, they they don't have that in their mental framework. Whereas yeah. I think if we want to change the conversation of grief as a culture, it needs to be um, spoken about from the beginning where, where kids can incorporate this into their um, understanding of life in the world as they're getting older. I think that's, where it needs to start ideally
2: (laughs) i definitely agree with you we're talking today with alexis marie chute she's the author of the book expecting sunshine a journey of grief healing and pregnancy after loss so we'll be we'll be back shortly
1: your life your health your network
0: you're listening to voice america health and wellness
1: Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness.
2: Hi everybody, welcome back to Falling Through the Cracks. Today we're talking with Alexis Marie Chute. She is the author of Expecting Sunshine, A Journey of Grief Healing and Pregnancy After Loss. So Alexis Marie, when you got pregnant again after losing Zachary, how did you feel? My first
3: first feeling was elation and joy and like the puzzle pieces were aligning again uh, but it didn't take that long really, for me to get back to the point where I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm gonna have another baby and now I'm, I'm not naive. I have lived through the worst case scenario. I've been the statistic on loss and this is gonna be the hardest, longest nine months of my life.
2: So what um, you know what was going going through your head? I mean, you know, you, you lost Zachary, and, and it wasn't expected that he was going, you know, you were told he was healthy. So what, what what were you experiencing?
3: So with my subsequent pregnancy, it was almost like I flipped to the opposite extreme. I, I couldn't imagine giving birth to a healthy baby. Even though I had had Hannah, and she was healthy in her pregnancy, uh, my pregnancy with her was normal and progressed well and, Her delivery was good. She was, um, you know, all aspects of that experience were positive. I couldn't shake my last experience. It became my frame of reference moving into my third pregnancy, and and I just couldn't imagine even hearing a baby cry, like that first cry and scream after it enters the world. It's cold, and the baby's like, where am I? Ah!" You know, I, I couldn't even conjure that sound or or that feeling, I couldn't even feel optimistic that this next child was going to live, and so that's what my book is about: is is trying to um, cope and find the hope and the inner, um, you know, visualization of welcoming a baby. And it was a really, it was a really rough journey, and that's what I, I hope that my book will be it's sort of like a companion for others who have lost any kind of per- person of any, any um, relation, not only a baby, it's really like a journey of self-discovery and, and learning how to grieve in this grieving, avoidant, grieving, avoiding culture. And what, you know, options are out there for healing. I hope that people will be able to take up my book and say, okay, like this is what she tried and it didn't work and this is what she tried and it didn't work. And maybe, you know, I feel the same way as her on this and maybe I feel a different way and, and that they can be sort of um, a sojourner with me as they read the book. It's not a prescriptive, you know, like I grieve this way and this is how you should heal based on my experience. It's not like that at all. I really am trying to open people up to the conversation and share the most vulnerable, raw feelings, you know, like I've had some people read the book and they're just like, oh my gosh, these are the secret feelings and thoughts that I've um, experienced, but I've never told anyone. And I think that people who even haven't lost a child or lost someone they loved, picking up Expecting Sunshine is going to shine a light, you know, in their understanding so that if they know someone who's lost a loved one, it's not going to be a question of I have no idea what this person is going through. They'll be able to have insight and and maybe have, you know, more helpful things to say. Like, I had one really well-meaning person say to me, oh, yeah, I just lost my dog, and so like, I feel I feel your pain, is what this person was expressing to me. And I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, internally, I was like, this does not compute. You know, I've had, I've had dogs. I've had beloveds you know, family pets for 15 years. Um, and when that dog died, like, I still remember that day vividly. But it's totally different, right? And so I'm, I'm really hoping that people will, A, if they've lost someone, feel consoled, feel validated in their feelings, um, feel permission to express their grief and be messy in their grief, however it looks, to be authentic and, and to Live it out because suppressed grief is not is not good, not healthy. It becomes an ugly monster inside. And then um, I do hope that other people will feel uh, empowered to support and give love and and care in a really healthy and helpful way.
2: So, what would have been um, the right thing that would have given you some comfort for somebody to say or do for you?
3: Um, well, I, I do think that there was a group of people that supported me in a really helpful way and that was um, the moms group, mom's group I met through um, having Hannah and what they did was they organized one person from the group to bring a meal every day for two weeks and they did that leading up to Zachary's pa- uh, birth and then they did that you know, in the, in the week following his passing and at the time I don't think I would have necessarily like said oh my gosh I need food but just like that gesture alone, like I think that our family would have ordered pizza for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We just didn't have the mental or physical like uh, energy to, to cook. So I would say that people supporting in practical ways like that um, was hugely helpful. And I think that what I kind of missed at the time was someone just to walk the journey with me. And what that looks like is You know, just being present and saying like, hey, can I just come over and hang out? And we don't even have to talk. We can just let the toddlers play on the floor or we can watch a movie or we can sit and draw together. I I think I just needed companionship at that time. And so I, I didn't feel like I got that from my husband. And I think people, because of being scared of what to say, you know, it's like the, oh, my gosh, I need the right words. Um. It's almost like they, they were scared to, to, to journey with me um, in that way. And so, yeah, just companionship, I think, would really make the world a difference for so many people.
2: But, you know, I, I think you've, you've definitely hit the nail on the head there. Um, you know, when I went through a process with a family member being ill and, and eventually dying, um, you know, a lot of people thought we were just busy, And so instead of reaching out to us, they're like, well, you were busy and, uh, you know, we were eating, you know, fast food or just grabbing something like you said you would have done if someone hadn't helped you. So I think those are are definitely good things. And, and, you know, not not deciding if somebody is is busy for them and and reaching out to them so that Mm -hmm. they have the support that they need.
3: Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Yeah, I think we all assume... Everyone is busy, right? And how many of yeah. us are? You know, we sit home on Friday night and we're just like, oh, why isn't anybody reaching out to us when when we're all thinking that, right? Yeah, yeah, we all and think especially. Knows good stuff, but it really, it's companionship. I think is what we're missing. We're we're hyper connected in our in our culture with social networking and all this digital stuff, but just being present, human flesh to flesh, right? Or you know presence in one way that we can can give. Yeah.
2: Exactly. So in in your your pregnancy after Zachary, was there a point where you felt comfortable with being pregnant and that it was going to be okay?
3: You know, I, I work towards that point in my book. I don't know if I really felt at ease at any point until I was in the hospital room holding my baby who was moving and kicking and just starting to open his eyes and, and, you know, giving the first newborn cries. I don't think it was until that moment where I could really like (sighs) take that deep breath and, and be at peace. You know, I have a a wise counselor, uh, like a bereavement counselor once told me that you won't feel that peace and contentment until you see the whites of your living baby's eyes. And really that's, that's where it was for me, like, you if people read the book, which I hope they do, um, you'll see the progression to, you know, the end of the pregnancy where I, like I was starting to surrender to the things that I could not control and like learning to hope and to love again, learning to, um, like relearning to visualize the good. Cause that for, for so long, like I, I erected these walls of of fear and where I could only imagine bad things happening because then I felt I would be protected because nothing would surprise me. And really, by expecting the worst, it was impossible to hope for the best. And so my book is like, you know, all these little um, learning experiences and journeys and finding myself again and the beauty of what that is like. But still, I, I could not fully surrendered to hope until I, I held my next child and it, it was a beautiful healing experience no child will replace another child but that experience of new life life coming out of the darkness of, of loss and sorrow that that experience was beautiful and redemptive
2: so um, if anybody's going through a, a similar situation what advice would you have for them
3: I would say that feel whatever you're feeling and don't think that you have to grieve a certain way or that it should take a certain amount of time. Often people think, you know, once the funeral or memorial is over, um, get back to life, get back to work, you know, like get back into the rhythm of your schedule. But take the time you need. It, It may take some people significantly longer than others, and that is okay it is going to look different from person to person. And I would really say that we need to not compare hardships. Um, I think it's it's amazing when people try to empathize, but we should not say, like, you know, oh, I feel this way and because of my experience. And so I totally understand what you're feeling. I think that if we try to just be graceful and kind with ourselves, not rush ourselves in our grief, that that will... Um, set up the parameters for the time of mourning to unfold how it is meant to unfold instead of it being like, okay, now you're supposed to feel, you know, the five stages of grief, right? Like I, I, <laughs> 505 stages of grief and, and it was a roller coaster. Some days were great. Some days were hell. And, and so I think that when we give ourselves permission and we give permission to the people in our life for it, for them to be, up and them to be down and them to be like confused other days that's really like the best gift we can give to ourselves and to others and yeah like i would really recommend people try creative exercises even as simple as buying a journal and just getting out all your rage and anger at life and god and why did this happen to me just get it all out express um Express yourself in some healthy way because if you bottle it all up, it's going to become a time bomb, and it's eventually going to come out one way or another.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Um, before we close the show, is there a, any way somebody can get a hold of you or find your book?
3: Yeah, so you can find my book. Um, it's basically available wherever books are sold, um, and. Right now I have a special, so people who order it before April 18th, uh, which is um, the actual, like, formal release date for people who pre-order, you know, from anywhere, like Amazon, or I have my online store, which is com. so my name. Um, You can buy it there or anywhere, um, order it from your local indie bookstore. So people who pre-order, they can email bonus, at AlexisMarieChute.com, and Chute is spelled C-H-U-T-E.com. Um, I'm going to email them this special reading bonus. So what I did was I, I was challenged by one of my professors in my grad program to rewrite one of the chapters from my book from my husband's perspective. This woman should be a therapist instead of being a, a writing instructor because that was, I would have to say, was one of the most healing Uh, if not the most healing uh, acts and catalyst for uh, my husband and I to rebuild our marriage, we started talking and at that point, like I really didn't want to see things from his perspective. I was deeply hurt by how he went back to work quickly after our loss and, and my book, you know, it's definitely from my perspective. And so I rewrote one chapter, like one intense chapter as um, seen through his eyes. And wow, like, so he, he helped me. He told me what he was thinking and feeling. That was really the beginning of our um, change from lack of communication to actually uh, speaking to understand each other. So, yeah, so people who email bonus at alexismariechute.com uh, with their proof of purchase of the pre order, I'm going to email that chapter. So it's a it gets a 10 page PDF document. and. Yeah, it's wildly interesting. It still um, gives me shivers when I read it because I'm like, oh, my gosh, male grief. Like, I didn't think my husband was grieving. I thought he was, yeah. you know, off moving on, right? Everybody tells you to move on. But he, his experience through his eyes, it is bone-chilling. And I really hope that people will take advantage of this because um, it, it helps save our marriage. and made a huge difference. So, um, yeah, and so people can go on to ExpectingSunshine.com. To learn more about the book and also the documentary film. Right now uh, we're editing, but it's been about uh, two and a half, three-year process um, where we started filming. Uh, We followed my most recent pregnancy um, with my second rainbow baby, and we interviewed other bereaved families. We interviewed um, experts in grief, therapists, doctors, nurses, and really are trying to unearth the experience and and it's really fascinating too, because so many people have differing experiences from my own. But really, with this um, documentary, we try to share um, men, women's perspectives, different kinds of losses, miscarriage, stillbirth, trying to open the discussion and yes, let people um, with something. That's yeah. Feeling. Well, thank
2: you. Thank you so much for for bringing this information forward. I think it's uh, going to start a great conversation for people. And I want to thank you today for joining me.
3: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
2: Um, So today we were talking with Alexis Marie Chute. She is the author of Expecting Sunshine, The Truth About Pregnancy After Loss. Um, And so thank you today for joining me and be sure to make today a great day.
1: Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks.